On Tuesday, Israel went to the polls to elect a new parliament. It was the fifth time an election had been held in less than four years. The most recent coalition government, led by Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, collapsed back in June, throwing the country again into political uncertainty. The familiar face of former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his political rival Yair Lapid emerged as the frontrunners. Although keen to present themselves on opposing sides, their policies mirror each other, particularly when it comes to their approaches to Palestine. By Tuesday night, with 86% of the votes counted, the Likud party, led by Netanyahu, had emerged as triumphant, securing 32 seats in the Israeli Knesset, ahead of Lapid, who only managed 24. That night, Netanyahu addressed his cheering supporters. Today we have won a huge vote of confidence. We still have to wait for final results. But one thing is already clear. Our way, the way of Likud, proved itself. I remind you that after getting 52 seats last election, we are on the brink of a very big win. The victory of the right-wing Netanyahu has left Palestinians living under Israeli apartheid understandably worried. But it's his choice of far-right coalition partners that has really set alarms ringing and intensified concerns that violence and persecution will likely increase. This week, what do the recent elections mean for Israel and Palestine? Who is leading the violence against Palestinians in the West Bank? And what might the future hold? My name is Hugo Goodridge. Welcome to the New Arab Voice. While the weeks and days in the run-up to the election saw all the usual hallmarks of a modern campaign, with posters on every street and various visits to locations by hopeful politicians, in the West Bank, a wave of destruction and violence took hold. All sorts of forms, uh, from burning Palestinian houses, burning Palestinian cars, uh, burning Palestinian trees. Uh, this is Isa Amro. Isa is a Palestinian activist in Hebron, West Bank. He is the co-founder of the Youth Against Settlements group and advocates for the use of non-violent resistance and civil disobedience to fight the Israeli occupation. He's, uh, vandalizing the land, attacking Palestinian people, Palestinian uh, farmers, killing Palestinians. Uh, they are really very violent these days and they are not accountable for their violence. Violence targeting the West Bank is a routine occurrence no matter who's in power in Israel. Incursions by heavily armed Israeli military soldiers frequently end in injuries to Palestinians and also deaths. By just September, 2022 had already been declared the deadliest year for Palestinians since 2015. At that point, 81 Palestinians had been killed, 78 by Israeli army gunfire. The number has since risen. While the Israeli army has always been present in the West Bank, much of the recent violence there has been coordinated and committed by far-right 
Israeli settler organizations. There are many groups who are settler groups who are organizing settler violence and they organize attacks on the Palestinians. Even they have training for the certain uh, settler groups, they have brochures, they have offices uh, all over West Bank to organize the settler violence toward the Palestinians. Two illegal settler groups have been leading the violence. The most famous uh, groups who are leading the settler violence are the Hilltop Youth and the Bryce Tag uh, campaigners. The Hilltop Youth are an extremist Zionist nationalist youth organization who frequently establish illegal outposts in the West Bank and seek the expulsion of all Palestinians. The group has regularly been seen throwing rocks at Palestinian homes, setting fire to cars and olive trees, an important source of income for many. Brutal physical attacks and even killings have also been documented. The price tag policy is part of a campaign that seeks to take revenge for any damage incurred to illegal Israeli settlements. The campaign have been implicated in numerous violent actions. The recent attacks in the West Bank have been notable due to the coordination with the Israeli military. The settlers are uh, always have escort with the Israeli army and they coordinate their attacks with the settlers. In many occasions, uh, soldiers helped the settlers to attack Palestinians. One soldier in South Mount Hebron gave his gun to a settler to shoot toward Palestinians. In Hebron, uh, the Israeli settlers, they are protected by, by the soldiers each time they attack us. And one of the army commanders gave his phone to the settlers to film us when they were attacking us. In uh, north of Palestine, settlers brought stun grenades and, and, and tear gas. And they, they gave the soldiers and the soldiers gave them and throw it toward Palestinians. In his role as an activist, Isa has experienced firsthand and documented much of this violence on his Twitter account. Uh, you see, two Israeli soldiers, they do what the settlers tell them. This is the Israeli apartheid and occupation. They prevent us from walking to the side of the road even, not even the main road, which was closed by the Israeli uh, settlers and the Israeli army. It's apartheid. Today is Saturday, but they go uh, down from the settlement, al settlement, to do... Uh, violence and do trouble without any accountability with an army escort. The settlers engaged in the violence claim they sought to prompt the Israeli state into taking action against a Palestinian group called the Lion's Den. The armed resistance was founded in August of 2022 in the West Bank city of Nablus and have been accused of orchestrating a number of attacks against Israeli occupation forces. And while this may be true, Isa argues that the actions of the settlers and the Israeli forces in the West Bank far outweigh those of the Palestinian group. Uh, in the last month, more than 100 settler attacks toward Palestinians all over West Bank. And the Lions, uh, this is a new small group inside Nablus. The settlers are attacking Palestinians since you know, a very long time. And they, say, and, and they are really very, very violent and they do whatever they want. And the settlers are not accountable for their violence, for their uh, attacks toward Palestinian houses. But if any Palestinian does anything, he is killed or in jail or injured. By the end of October, as Israelis readied themselves to go to the polls, 29 Palestinians 
had been killed in October alone. 2022 had gone down as the most violent year since records began, and October 2022 has been recorded as the most violent month. In Israel, politicians were making their pitches to voters, or at least those who are allowed to vote. But it wasn't inherently policy matters that were first in the minds of the electorate. The main platforms were all around the question of Netanyahu. This is Haggai Matar, an Israeli journalist and the executive director of 972 magazine. He has been kind of the deciding central issue of Israeli politics for the past few years now. And the division is no longer exactly around right and left. It's about do you support Netanyahu as a leader or not? According to Haggai, Netanyahu as a political figure was a driving issue with other issues filling the rest of the space behind. To a great degree, it was that. In addition to questions of the economy, where you have especially people from the lower classes suffering, struggling with inflation, with a high cost of living. Issues of personal safety, organised crime and ongoing corruption also surfaced during the campaign. Netanyahu previously served as Israeli Prime Minister from 1996 to 1999, and then again from 2009 to 2021. His brand of populist right-wing politics, which flirted with authoritarianism, troubled many in the country, but repeatedly survived numerous elections. In 2021, with numerous accusations and court proceedings related to corruption hanging over his head, the coalition he controlled collapsed and he was pushed out of office. But his time in the wilderness was short and he emerged as the frontrunner in the recent elections. And on the night, his Likud party came away as the biggest winner with 32 seats. Now set for a return to office, it's not clear if Netanyahu has the ability to seriously address the most pressing economic issues facing Israelis. We'll have to see. Netanyahu has been in power for 12 of the past 13 years, and most of the increases in the cost of living have been under his government, and as a result of his government policies um, when the following government came in for just one year. So it's hard to say that this is an essential issue for him. Um, we can say that one of the parties in his new coalition is committing to giving people food vouchers. So it's not going to change things entirely. But for the very, very poor who are really struggling to get food on the table, uh, that might actually be relevant assistance that the government that is now leaving did not supply. Regarding security issues, it's widely anticipated that Netanyahu will pick up where he left off. In terms of security, I definitely don't think that this government will be able to offer any increased security. They will, however, probably encourage increased police violence and army violence, just an escalation in attacks on Palestinian communities under the guise of protecting security. And this is on both sides of the Green Line. In the run-up to the results, a return for Netanyahu was anticipated. And given his ability to seemingly weather any political storm, perhaps not a surprise. But there were surprises on the night. First of all, it's the meteoric rise of the far right. 
So the, the party with Kahanist politician Itamar Ben-Gvir. Itamar Ben-Gvir was certainly and disappointingly a winner from the election. Itamar is the leader of the Jewish Power Party and represented the religious Zionist party in the election. He is a devoted follower of some of the most extreme and far-right policies in Israel today. He is known as a Kahanist, or a follower of the late radical rabbi Mir Kahan, who called for the enslavement and ethnic cleansing of the Palestinians. As late as February 2021, Itamar described Mir Kahan as a hero, although he has also made claims to have distanced himself from the Kahanist movement, which was declared to be a terrorist organisation by the Israeli state. Itamar lives in an illegal settlement in the West Bank and has been known to turn up with supporters in Palestinian neighbourhoods to harass and abuse Arab residents. In October of this year, he pulled a gun on Palestinian protesters in the East Jerusalem neighbourhood of Sheikh Jarrah. At this week's election, the religious Zionist party secured 14 seats. Following the result, Itamar tweeted, The time has come for a full-fledged right-wing government. The time has come to be the masters of the house in our own country. That rise is, is incredible. The ability of this extremist politician that up until a year and a half, two years ago, was even alienated by Netanyahu, who saw him as illegitimate, who said he would never accept him into his government. Uh, now he's looking at a very senior position in this new government of Netanyahu. Uh, this meteoric rise is something that we have seen coming in the polls, but just to see materialize this strand of uh, basically Jewish fascism that uh, was really outcast by all of the political spectrum for years, just making this incredible rise is, is quite incredible. With the support of the Israeli far right, Netanyahu will be able to lead a coalition. Where there are electoral winners, so too must there be losers. The other thing that was very interesting is the collapse, almost uh, eradication, of the block of what is called the Zionist left. You had two parties representing that. One is the liberal Meretz that just didn't pass the electoral threshold. And then you have Labour, which was the founding party of the state, and was in power for the first almost 30 years, and now hitting all times low with just four seats. With the far right anticipated to prove electorally successful, many in the country were hoping that the vote of Palestinian Arab citizens of Israel would be able to prevent the worst elements of the Jewish-Israeli far right from getting through. At the vote, Arab turnout did increase, Polling figures from the night indicate that they voted in higher numbers than they did in the previous election. However, uh, because of the split between the parties, until recently they used to run on a shared platform of the joint list, and now they ran in three separate platforms, which led to the fact that one of them, uh, the kind of more nationalistic uh, ballad party, did not make it past the electoral threshold. While the pro-Netanyahu camp was able to unify around a single point, in this instance, a single man, the anti-Netanyahu camp failed to coalesce. By standing alone, they now find themselves consigned to the political wastelands. 
There are thousands of Palestinians who live in illegally annexed areas of Palestine and are subject to Israeli rule and law and are compelled to pay Israeli taxes but are not granted a vote due to the state's refusal to view them as citizens. For the Arabs that can vote, it should be obvious that they are not voting for Israeli far-right fascists. But someone is. Basically, the far-right in Israel has different strands. The strand that is making the most headway right now is the one that was considered illegitimate, um, the one that came out of the Mehir Kahana Kah movement. That is the strand that was considered completely illegitimate to the point that it was actually defined as a terrorist movement at the time and barred from running for Knesset at some point. Other parts of the far right have been part of the Knesset and of legitimate discourse, and they've allied with Benville, with the, the, the extremist Kahanist party. So this is really about that unity between different strands of the far right, joining together hardline settlers, religious Zionists, and a lot of people in the social periphery, especially in the South and the Negev, that feel that they're needs are not attended to by the government, that they're ignored. Many of them come from Mizrahi background and also ultra-Orthodox Haredi Jews that for many years were really taking a step back from the whole question of nationalism and militarism, kind of restraining from going into that world. You're seeing a turn to the far right in ultra-Orthodox communities. So between those three or four different groups, you see the rise of this new far-right coalition. A disenfranchised group of people who have lost faith in mainstream politics and turned to the far-right? If you've been paying attention over the past few years, this should be an all-too-familiar story by now. Since the State of Israel was founded, no single political party has ever managed to secure a majority in the parliament. Every winner has been part of a coalition. And this is no different. Netanyahu's next term in office will be beholden to the support of the far right. So will Netanyahu even be in control? Or will he find his next term controlled by the whims of the far right who hold the proverbial sword over his political head? That's, that's I think, the biggest question about this new government. Netanyahu himself was never in a coalition where he was the most kind of leftist side of the coalition. He always made sure he would have some sort of a centrist or sometimes even kind of self-pronounced leftist at his side in his coalition. So whenever rightists would say, why are you not making good on your election promises? He could say, well, I wanted to, but there are these moderates, these liberals in my coalition that I have to listen to. Now he's kind of the, the most leftist, as absurd as it might sound, party in his coalition, and he won't have that excuse anymore. So there's definitely a chance that he won't be able to stop the surge of the right. We know that a lot of voters for the Likud, Netanyahu's party, have said that they're doing so in order to get Ben Kvir and the far right into government. So he's expected to give the far right a lot of leeway uh, and what that looks like and just how much he'll be uh, within their grasp is uh, yet to be seen. Netanyahu has never been a friend of the Palestinians. The annexation of the West Bank has long been a dream of his, 
But with his new coalition, he might yet be responsible for unleashing a savage beast. The far right have paved the way for Netanyahu to return to the top table. But there is something else that they can provide for him. You remember the corruption charges faced by Netanyahu? The incoming prime minister is very keen to ensure that those charges come to a complete end. The charges date back to 2016 and relate to gifts that the former prime minister allegedly received, including cigars and champagne and bracelets, bags and luxury clothes for his wife. He is also accused of disrupting investigative and judicial proceedings and demanding positive coverage from two leading Israeli news outlets. A trial started in May 2020, but has since been delayed and postponed multiple times. One of the stated goals for this new coalition, uh, Netanyahu himself has never said it uh, and, and has denied claims that this is something he wants to do, but any, everyone else in his coalition is basically saying we're going to cancel the Netanyahu trial. They have a lot of different tools to do so, and they've basically said they would use all of them, from firing the prosecutor general through uh, cancelling the different anti-corruption laws that Netanyahu is facing uh, charges based on. So if you cancel the law saying that corruption is illegal, he can no longer be tried for those violations, to also passing a bill offering a prime minister immunity from prosecution that would be retroactive and cancel the trial. So they're, they're talking about all these different tactics. Each of them would end up cancelling the trial, all of them put together, uh, definitely. So it, it hasn't happened yet, but that's definitely what they're saying they would do. If you're Netanyahu, then things are looking pretty good for you. You found a way back into power, and those pesky corruption charges look set to disappear. If you're Palestinian the future is far bleaker. Israel has always relied upon international support, both physical and financial, as well as international legitimacy. One question now is whether the foreign nations that have supported Israel will still want to provide this while part of the Israeli government is controlled by far-right fascists. So far, we've heard statements by several European and even uh, the American government saying that they will not cooperate with any ministries led by the far right, which is already an interesting and nice sort of threat to make. Uh, let's see if they make good on it. I, I would be surprised, uh, but it'll be a nice surprise to, to, to have. I definitely think that this attitude in Western countries that identifies Israel as kind of the only democracy in the in the Middle East, uh, a liberal ally uh, in the Middle East, is something that needs to change entirely, and not just because of Netanyahu, because of decades of, of apartheid regime, including the government of change, so-called, that did not shy away from taking an active role in killing more Palestinians, demolishing more Palestinian homes, than we've seen in the past five years under Netanyahu. So, so we're definitely in need of European and US governments to change their attitude. And I hope that this, uh, you know, the silver lining in this new government would be that it would get people and governments abroad to realize the, this nature of, of the regime in Israel. Isa Amro has seen and lived what happens when foreign governments decide 
that they can accept apartheid policies from Israel. Unfortunately, the international community is blindfully supporting Israel, is encouraging fascism in Israel. They have a trade agreement, they have political relationship with Israel in spite of its occupation and apartheid. I ask the international community to label Israel as an apartheid state and make Israel accountable as an apartheid state under the international law. Israel must be accountable and the Israeli leaders and the Israeli settlers must be accountable according to the international law and according to the international treaties. The rise of the far right has been seen in multiple elections in recent years. It's a worrying trend with no clear-cut answers about how to combat it. This trend has now reached a new level in Israel. Rather than simply being a worrying rise in popularity, far-right fascists are now a powerful and prominent member of a coalition government. For the day-to-day lives of Israelis, who knows what the future may hold? For Palestinians, they are anticipating more of the same and worse, but continue to hope for the end of oppression. The Palestinians, they want... uh to end the occupation and end apartheid and we don't see any peace partner we don't see any group in Israel who are calling for ending the Israeli occupation and apartheid uh, with the new Israeli fascist uh, parties being part of the Israeli government but they are all occupiers they are all practicing apartheid they are all making our life very very hard This episode of The New Arab Voice was written and produced by me, Hugo Goodridge, with additional help from Louis Faour. Our theme music was by Omar El Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also rate and review which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news from the region. <laughs>